And so today, we're talking about civility. I know, right? So if sometime this week, you were in a less than civil way, would you raise your hand? Keep them up, keep them up. If your spouse does not have their, no, keep them up. If your spouse does not have their hand raised, would you reach over and guide it upward? (laughs) All right, we're gonna go for round two. How many of you have been uncivil with your spouse this week? Sinners, they're everywhere. (laughs) Have you had any moments of incivility with your children this week? How many of them earned it? (laughs) Got it. Have you had any issues with road rage this week? Oh my stars, let's just start with a gospel story here then, really. Oh man, yeah, if you're watching online, there are sinners and liars and cheapskates everywhere in this room. Okay, I have two. Did you guys see the news? I think it was last night. Uh, it, was, it was on three of the major networks here in Atlanta. Dude in a truck has road rage and he backs it up and plows into the SUV in front of him. That's not good enough. He backs up again, he does it a second time, gets out of his truck, climbs on top of the SUV and is just crunching down on the SUV. It's not a little man. I mean, he's creating a problem. Then he hops off the SUV, finds something and breaks the glass out of the SUV, gets back in his truck, and the whole time, somebody's watching this on an iPhone, filming it, right? And so he pulls off, and the last thing you see of the driver are the whites of his teeth going, and I thought, you know, within a few hours, because we have this on film, I bet he's not smiling now, right? Haven't you ever been somewhere where you totally lost it and you knew that was not cool? Ever been there? Man, I have. I I got kicked out of Boy Scouts for fighting. I mean, really, I have a temper. It truly is a real issue with me. And uh, Jenny, uh, it's interesting that I I can be doing, like, the smallest of projects and lose it. You know, I mean, I know none of y'all ever do that. But I I can be be doing something that just isn't working the way I want to. And then I have this offense that I've taken on because that piece of wood isn't acting right. And in, in doing so, I get all worked up. And then if Jenny hears me getting all worked up, she'll say, who are you having that conversation with? The wood. (laughs) Are they talking back? Yes, as a matter of fact, they are using four letter words as they talk back to me. (laughs) And you know what I found? That when I lose it, everybody around me, their whole mood goes down because I've kind of forced my anger onto them. Y'all never do that, do you? You never have that problem. It it probably is just me. But you know what I've realized in a society today that we live where, where frankly, we have grown into an uncivil war. I mean, if you think, when's the last time you watched the news and the only thing that got reported was the news? I mean, not their their opinion of the news or not not their political perspective on the news or, or, or not whether they're for guns or against guns on the news or whatever it is, but... I can't remember the last time somebody just reported the news without this biased perspective of either side or any side. 
And, and I wonder, I, what has caused this in our country? I read some stats uh, over the past few weeks preparing for this, and I want you to hear uh, a few reports that I have to read because I could never get them out. The vast majority of Americans feel their country has reached an ill-mannered watershed. Nine out of 10 Americans think incivility is a serious problem, and nearly half think that it is an extremely serious issue. 78% say that the problem has worsened in the past 10 years and their concern goes beyond annoyance with rudeness. Listen to the rest of this part that I thought was interesting. Respondents seem incivility as evidence. Think about this. Respondents see that incivility is evidence of a profound social breakdown. You'd have to be Ray Charles not to see that we have this problem, right? I mean, you'd have to recognize that everybody's angry at somebody, with somebody, about somebody, or something. We are in a world in which the loudest and the longest screamer gets their point across. I mean, when you watch uh, most news shows, they're talking on top of each other, trying to outscream each other. You know. If you have kids that have already gone through their freshman year of college, would you raise your hand? Okay, so bless our hearts, right? Have you noticed that the first time they came home from college their freshman year, they talked really loud. Did you ever get that? You know why they do that? Because in the fraternity, sorority, or wherever they're at, they have to scream because they're on top of each other all the time. So we spend the first month saying, we're, we're right here, right here. You know, and, it, and it's crazy, but I find that everywhere. I mean, I see it in fast food restaurants. I see it everywhere I go. And I find myself in this conundrum of what does the church do about this? So I read on in the study and it said, more than 90% of those polled believe that it contributes to the increase of violence in the country. 85% believe that it divides the national community and the same number see it as eroding health values like respect for each other's talk to Americans and, and Quickly, a picture emerges of a nation addicted to the pressures, pressures and the prevalence of unruly society, especially when it comes to individual expression. We tend to have a natural nastiness about us. By the way, that's, that's true in corporate America. That is true in the small business of Main Street America. It's true on Wall Street in America. It is true in Hollywood of America. Unless we feel ourselves really necessary to point everybody out, it's here in Sugar Hill, Georgia, at the ball field, at our schools, in our homes, and yes, in his church. And I would argue, folks, that if there's ever been a place, ever, that people should be able to come and let their shoulders sink down a little bit and sink into the chair in the sense of safety, security, and love, it should definitely be the house of the Lord Jesus Christ. But to do so, we have got to stop screaming. At some point, it's not about how much we can prove to somebody we're right as much as it is earn the right to share truth because we just love you. I look at this, and you've heard it for seven years from me, but I believe it more today than I did seven years ago. And that's this beautiful picture that if I'll leave the judgment to God, if I'll leave the necessary forgiveness to Jesus, if I'll allow the condemnation to rest with the Holy Spirit, I'm only left with two jobs, and that is to serve people and love people. 
You see, and that is not true for me as just Chuck. This is true of us as Sugar Hill Church. It is true of Sugar Hill Church as the broader church. And this is true of all those who claim to be followers of Jesus. But let's face it, it is so much easier to return anger with anger. And it's so much easier to return violence with more violence. And it's so much easier to get our feelings hurt and to get all worked up and to go into war mode over the smallest things today. And somewhere in there, I believe there's this fundamental breakdown that we must recognize that there is no room for incivility in the church of the Lord Jesus. We Protestants, we have been protesting for thousands of years. All we know to do is to protest. I grew up in a church that knew how to tell you everything that was wrong. I heard from the time I was a little boy everything that would happen to me when I did wrong. Some of you grew up in that church. Some of you grew up and want to avoid that church. Some of you learned to hate that church. Some of you, like me, still love that church but don't want to be that church. And some of you gave up on church altogether and you just happen to be watching online right now. Or somebody drug you here today. And what I want to offer to you today is I truly believe that Jesus came and gave us a better way. I believe he came and said, you do not have to follow the pattern of unbelievers, but live in the pattern of me so that unbelievers might want to follow you. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus, as he came to this earth, came in the most humble of fashion. And when he left, he left in the most glorious of fashion. And when he returns, it is coming in a time where we definitely want to set aside our pettiness and be in his camp. Because when he comes again, he's, he's coming as a reigning king. He's coming to receive his bride. He's coming to take his children home. And when I know all these things, I'm reminded that why can we not live in a civil manner when I recognize that we've been created in the image of the divine? We have been made in the image of our, our creator. And at no point, at no point do we see Jesus, the Son of God, the second part of the Trinity. We never see him walking from town to town with his pack and see him come unglued and completely frazzled and settled in such a way that half of his day is eaten up with bitterness and envy and, and, and just ruthlessness. What we see is him going from town to town, doing good, doing right, doing as we know God should and could do, and loving people. And you say, well, well you know, Chuck, I'm just not built that way. I don't, I don't need you and I don't need anybody else to give me an anger management class. I, I'll handle my own, thank you. Well, let me offer you this thought again. I believe Jesus came to give us a better way. A better way, and it's not about whether you win or whether you lose, it's the fact that you ultimately win. I mean, we, we do spend a lot of time trying to prove we're right, don't we? I mean, even with the people we love most, we spend time talking about what we know is right. I, I sit in my office oftentimes with marital counseling and I'll have a couple in there, they're like going at it, you know? And, and when I hear some of the things I hear them say that has got them all bent out of shape out loud, I think to myself, stop. So I'll say, just stop. I want you to say that out loud one more time, slow it down, take the emotion off, say that one more time. And they'll say something, and truly, when they hear it again, it's like, 
okay, when you put it that way, that's stupid. And I'm like, no, you don't have to put it that way to be stupid. But it's, the, the, that wasn't very civil. But the fact is, there's a better way. We're image bearers of the king. We, we are children of God. We are joint heirs of the kingdom of God with Jesus. But that leaves us in a conundrum. Does the church have a role in turning this tide of the uncivil war? And I would say without question, the answer is yes. As a matter of fact, this is where it all starts. When people look at us and they know us by how we love one another, they should look and see us in love. When they look at the church, it should not be, well, what, what is it that church wants from me? But it should be that church cannot wait to help me. It shouldn't be that, wow, those folks there, they look down their nose at people like me, but it should be when I go there, I feel loved. It should not be that because my life is all whacked out and those people have it all together, I shouldn't go there. We should just be grateful to know that we're whacked out too. We can just say, y'all, come on. I love it when, when I hear one of you invite somebody to come and the person I meet in the meet and greet says, yeah, he told me you were just as whacked out as I was. And that's why they tell the pastor. And you know what I would say? I truly am. Preparing this sermon, you know, you know what I thought on the second time around writing it? Okay, Lord, so the whole thing's about me, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, Chuck, you better get this part of your life together because it's going to undo you. Because, Chuck, the heart of all this is selfishness, and you can't get where I want you to be until you lay all that down and let me handle it. I, I know you all would never think this, but when somebody has done something that has offended you and wounded you, I know you never think in the back of your head, I promise you, I'm going to get you back. And when I do, it's going to be glorious. I'm going to do something, and you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. But God comes along and says, but I've got a better way. You don't have to, you don't have to invite all that into your space. You don't have to invite that in. If you'll give it to me, just wait with, to see what I'll do it. Haven't you ever seen the Lord done something where he fixed something in, in your life and you look back and said, okay, now that, Lord, that was cool. But you got to give it to him. You can't just stay in this perpetually upset state. You, you literally have to give it to him. Most of us don't want to hear this, but it's good to remember this principle. You ready? If it happens in the world, it will inevitably and eventually find its way into the church. And incivility has found its way. I like it this way, so I scream. I don't like it that way, so I scream. Well, I, I don't think you ought to pray that way, and they scream. I literally had a lady a couple of years ago who, who said, I'll promise you, Chuck, those people in that room, speaking of y'all, I'll promise you those people, there's no possible way they can worship to that music. And I sat there and backed away, and I thought, the lightning bolt is just about to strike. Everything in me wanted to go up off my chair and say, you are an, and then just fill in the blank. But on that one, I went home. I shared it with Jen. Jen did what a more spiritual person would do than me and said, well, just give it to the Lord. And the Lord said, I'll take that. And you know what? It's so good to have a place to drop that off because now I don't have to carry it around. I don't have to wear it. I, he's got it. And I don't know when or how he's going to deal with that or if he already has, but I do know this. I know the Lord's capacity is much greater than mine. The, the God who can flick a lightning bolt, 
He can take care of this. Why not leave it with him? Where, did, where and when did the voice of truth cease being the voice of reason? Think about that. When did, when did pulpits become a place to bully people and beat people up about what you ought to think instead of a voice of truth that says, here's what God thinks? You see, the witnesses to Jesus' action were a different kind of engagement, a better way. I mean, it, instead of an evil eye and getting back, why not love and stand with a tender heart and a humble mind? Friend, this is not withdrawing from society and accepting what is there. This is becoming all God has called us to be so we have a definite impact out there. But to go out there and protest more over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of protesting and screaming at people, we're losing. Stop screaming and start loving. Stop screaming and start serving. Stop holding on to the offense and hand it off. Stop taking that bitterness that is eating us up from the inside out and leave it at the foot of the cross. Stop being so mad at your ex that you can't move forward with your life and take it and drop it off. And Jesus is saying, I'm so much stronger than you think. I can hold everything you don't know yet. Give it to me. It's just simply choosing a better way. How many of you know who Sarah Silverman is? Anybody know Sarah Silverman? I mean, nobody's going to claim her to be a bastion of conservatism. You know, I mean, she can get pretty snarky on her Twitter feed. I read this story, though, and I was, I was captivated by it. Sarah Silverman was doing her thing on Twitter, which is always kind of just really, like, out there rude. A young dude drops a one-word expletive that I will not use in the room, uh, and her fans went bonkers, man. I mean, like, Thousands of people were on top of this guy, like, like literally death threats. We're going to burn your house. We're going to firebomb your car. I mean, it was all this kind of stuff. And, and then Sarah Silverman, though, she started reading on his feed about his story. He realized he's got a bad back. He's dealing with chronic pain and on and on and on. So she decided to respond to him to get everybody off his back. Listen to what she said. I believe in you. I read your timeline and I see what you're doing and your rage is thinly veiled pain. But you know that? You know that. I know this feeling. My back stinks too. See what happens when you choose love? I see it in you. Now here's somebody that is so far away from faith, we can't even grasp it, saying there's a better way. How much more so should we as followers of Jesus say, wait a minute, she kept up the conversation. By the way, she paid for his medical bills, and then here was his response. I was once a giving and nice person, but too many things destroyed that, and I became bitter and hateful. Then Sarah showed me the way, and don't get me wrong, I still got a long way to go, but it's a start. Friend, listen to me, this stuff works. Love works. The joy of the Lord works. Leaving your bitterness with Christ works. Trusting in him to take every offense away, it works. Listen to me, friend. You are still God's plan, and it works. But you got to set aside all that bitterness, and you got to set aside all that anger, and you got to set aside all of those things that say, I have to win, and say, God, I'm going to leave it with you because with you, I've already won. And I don't know about you, but this does, I'm not trying to create Christian sissies here. 
I'm, I, I'm not about creating. I, I don't want you to be less of a person than you are. I don't want you to walk out here, you know, and just be whatever kind of pacifist, you know, whatever you want. I, I, that's not my goal. My goal is to say there's a better way for Christ to, to do his work in you if you'll just allow him to. So let me give you a few thoughts. For those of you that say, you know, Chuck, I, I want you to preach deeper. Okay, the rest of the sermon's for you, right? First, let's display Jesus to the world, and whenever it's necessary, let's use words. But, but let's display let's su- su- display that. You see, the most powerful way to speak Jesus is to embody Jesus. To embody him is to trust him and know him and love him and be with him. It is the willingness to stop and say, wait a minute, this is right and wholesome and good. This is the time in which we would say, okay, I'm on board with you, Lord. Let's do this. What if we were to become justice that was cloaked in love and be a blessed peacemaker rather than joining the circle? What if we became the inflated part of the tire, even if the rest is flat? What if we were determined that this takes great strength and security? Anybody can scream back. Anybody can ramp up the violence. Anybody can go back and get their own. Anybody can stay in the fight. Why be anybody? Why Why not be a child of the king? Why not be a follower of the Lord Jesus? I want to ask you to do something this week. Six days, that's all, six days. I'm going to ask you to join me every morning or, or every evening, I mean, in meditating on Psalm 34. You can do Psalm 34 in less than four minutes. And would you every night before you call it quits, make sure you read through Psalm 34. When you read through it, you'll get what I mean. I, I just want to pull verses 17 and 18 out of it quickly. It says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. You know why we go in attack mode? Our spirits are crushed. You know why we join the fight? Somebody did something wrong to us. You know why we ramp it up? Because it's all stuffed inside. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to take you when your spirits are crushed. But leave all that with me because I can deliver you from this. Let's embody humility and kindness in our pursuit of truth and justice. I have spent so much of my life being an arrogant know-it-all. It just feels good to confess that to my church. I have spent most of my life as just an arrogant know-it-all. And could I just say to you, All I ever did was make people distant from me, frustrated with me, and there was nothing ever godly about it. To look in the mirror and recognize that is this huge thought that there is so much more the Lord wants to do in Chuck Allen's life. What if that's true for you too? And I thought maybe it would be worth sharing. What if that's true for you as well? Peter was pretty big on this concept. He said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, and keep a humble attitude. A humble attitude will allow you to listen without judgment. How difficult is that? Are you ever in a conversation and what you really want to do is you want to talk, but you know that they haven't taken a breath yet? but you go ahead and talk 
and then they get louder, and then you get louder, and then whoever else is coming in the conversation, you get louder, and before long you forgot what you're talking about, but the fact is I'm winning. Been there? I would say to you this is the kind of thing that the church has got to lay down and listen without judgment. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, uh, we ought to call sin, sin, and we ought to, we ought to recognize those things, that, those things that are offensive to the Lord God ought to be offensive to us. But I'll promise you, you we're never going to reach people while shouting at them at the same, at the same time. We're, we're never going, you and I, as human beings, we are never going to change that person's heart. We can just introduce them to the one that can but I find it really hard to introduce people to something that's good while I am screaming at them. Not one amen. Is it possible that we, we hit one of these rubs where iron sharpens iron on this one? Is it possible that we got to this station? I want to give you three thoughts that I think would radically change our life. If we join me on meditating in Psalm 34, then I want to ask you, would you do this? This week, would you be the bravest, the strongest, and the happiest? Would you be the bravest by being the first to apologize? Would, would you be the strongest and be the first to forgive? And would you be the happiest to be the first to forget? I look at this and think, would, would the church not look radically different in our world if these three things we took to our heart and said, God, it is only in your power that those things can happen. You know how we love to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? We always think about great accomplishments. I would say for most of us, six days of meditation on Psalm 34, six days of letting scripture get into our life, six days of laying down our pitchfork, this might be absolutely revolutionary. Nelson Mandela, who's a person who had every right to be bitter and hate-filled, said this, when a deep injury is done to us, we never heal until we forgive. I have folks that come in and post-divorce counseling, and man, they are filled with rage, and often they have earned it. And the first thing that I say to them is this, you will never move forward without forgiveness, ever. But you don't know what they did to me. I know I don't, I really don't. But I know this to be true. You will never move forward until you start forgiving. And watch this folks. If Ron down here has offended me and I carry it around in my heart and it's become bitterness, oftentimes I don't need to go to Ron Oftentimes, I just need to ask God to sweep my heart of bitterness. Often, I need to look in the mirror and let forgiveness start right here. Often, forgiveness sounds shallow, but I can't be shallow when I've turned my heart over to Christ. It can't happen. Listen, listen to what Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Paul gets so ridiculously practical. He says, all those things, you're just blowing air. You're just, you're, you're going at it the wrong way. I want you to be grace-filled, happy people. God is not looking for you to be unhappy, friend. God cannot wait for you to be happy in him. He cannot wait for you to be content in him. He cannot wait for you to lay every care at him. He is so for you, he wants you to be happy. And you say, well, Chuck, here's what I heard growing up. God called me to be holy, not to be happy. 
okay. Can I be both? Well, yeah, I guess you could. I'm taking that door. I want, I want to walk with him. I want to be happy. I want to see people that are weird and go, how about that? I want to hear people that totally are outraged with what I think and look at them and said, I never thought about it that way. Yeah, that is the goofiest thing I've ever heard in my life. Instead of, well, let me tell you why you're wrong. Ha! I mean, come on, we're just, we got to stop screaming. Listen to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I mean, he doesn't even give us a pass. He throws the must card out there. Listen to the little book of James in chapter 5. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Friend, you cannot see others as God does until you know God. You cannot forgive as Jesus forgives without living with Jesus. Just for good measure, 1 John chapter 1. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to clean us from all wickedness. Let that include all the things that are gossip and anger and pettiness. Let them go. And then he wraps it all up in a cute bow in Philippians chapter 3. And he says, now, brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters. I love it when he writes like that because I don't think like that at all. I mean, you were probably never going to hear me call you brother or sister something. You know, because I, I got called that like all of my early ministry life and it totally freaks me out. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. Listen, friend, you cannot forget your past without looking to your forward, and your forward is your upward calling to Christ Jesus himself, who has said, leave me with all your junk. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love others as you love yourself. And give me all your anger. Would you join me this week in Psalm 34 every evening? Would you join me this week every day for six days? Would you join me on our weekday podcast? I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Bobby does Tuesday and Thursday. And the only thing we do on that, we don't give you our opinions on what the church should be or the world should be. All we try to do on that, on that give you five minutes of Scripture and how it applies to your life. Give us that in the morning. Give us Psalm 34 in the evening. And here's what I want to ask you to be willing to do. Resolve open conflicts with loving forgiveness, even if it starts with sweeping your heart with something new. By the way, are you willing to be held to a zero-tolerance gracious rule that for six days you and your spouse you and your boyfriend or girlfriend hopefully not at the same time you and your kids I know right you thought about that but would you have a willingness to say for six days I'm going to live with a three-minute rule I'm not going to fire off I'm going to wait three seconds and ask the Holy Spirit to say is that worth it right now does that help matters right now does this bring people closer to Jesus right now? Do I sound more like Christ right now? 
Am I going to be a part of, of a Christ-like solution right now? And when those words that the Spirit says in your soul is no, listen to him. And watch your world change so radically that at day seven it'll be, can we do it again, Chuck? And the answer will be, yeah. What if this became a better way? Let's pray. God, today, would you do a work in our life that might cause us to say, Jesus, I want to lay all of my stuff down. My angerness, my bitterness, my pettiness, my gossip. I want to lay down my heart that is just filled with anger. I, I want you to take all of that yuck in my life and just take it away. I want to be able to trust you so much that I can forget that and press on toward you. And Jesus, I want to thank you that you made it available for me to come to you and you could fix it all. If that prayer that I just offered on your behalf, if in your heart you're saying, Chuck, that's what I want in my life. Nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand. Let me know. That's what I, yeah. 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 Man, there's people all over the place. Yeah. Friend, listen, Jesus came that you have a better way. Man, I want to walk that way. I believe you do too. Join us. God, thank you for these sweet people. God, I am grateful for all those folks that watch online. Lord, bless every hand that was raised family that, rep that they represented. God, speak into our heart this week a better way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I, I got to do an offering. I'm sorry. We got to do an offering. I, I got to stop forgetting this stuff, man. I got to. Come on, y'all. We got to do an offering. I, I, I got to stop doing these earlier. I mean, they flash it up there on the little screen back there that says offering, offering, offering. Y'all think I'm kidding, I'm not.